Hello, and thank you once again for joining me on The Runtime. I'm your host, Raphael Kennedy, and this is the podcast where we go deep into software design. Today, I'll be joined by Bartek Ivanchuk, a member of the core team behind Dino. Dino is a new JavaScript and TypeScript runtime created by Ryan Dahl that aims to fix many of what he saw as the failings of Node. Uh, I'll add that several of my guests have, unbidden, brought up how excited they are about Dino, so it'll be interesting to talk about some of the ways it seems to have captivated developers. Uh, welcome, Bartek, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Thanks for having me here. Happy to be here. So I was hoping we could start with you giving us a quick overview of Dino and how it differs from Node. Sure. So on the high level, Dino is a new runtime that can execute your JavaScript and TypeScript code. And it differs from Node mostly uh, in the language that it is written. So instead of C++, it's written in Rust. And another major difference is that Dino is not tied to NPM. So you can link to any remote sources available on the internet, just like you would do in the browser, uh, just by using a fully specified URLs. In addition to that, Dino is not really only a runtime, but it's also a full tool chain. So we provide you with all the necessary tools you might need out of the box. Uh, those tools include Formatter, Linter, Bundler, Test Runner, and many more. And this is all done to get you started very, very quickly so you can get into coding without having to worry about setting up your uh, project or maintain any project templates that, as I've seen, is quite popular in the node world. So a single file and you're ready to go. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and so you alluded to one of the things that I noticed and that people have brought up um, on the internet is that in a few ways, it really seems more like a browser than Node does. Um, so for instance, Dino, as you mentioned, resolves packages from URLs the way that a browser would rather than by referring to the, the package.json. Um, it also uses a number of like web APIs, such as the fetch API. Um, it has a much more browser-like event system and it implements form data and web storage. So using Dino, it really feels like adhering to a lot of browser standards must have been um, a guiding principle. Uh, yeah, that's right. And there are actually a lot of voices stating that Dino is a web browser. Uh, however, we cannot display anything like browsers can, but we can execute your JavaScript like the browser does. And Using web APIs was a conscious decision, and uh, it was mainly dictated by the fact that a lot of developers are familiar with those web APIs, and there's been a lot of development in the JavaScript world um, in the past 10 years. So there's really no more need to reinvent the wheel and we can say that uh, Dino has a benefit of the hindsight that Node did not have. So if developers are already familiar with all those APIs, why would you need them to, to learn new stuff if they can directly transfer their knowledge from the browser to Dino? And another major factor that cannot be underestimated is the fact that web APIs have an extensive test suite that's called web platform tests. Uh, which essentially allows us to 
only implement the APIs and not worry about testing them at all because we can reuse the same test suite that all of the major browsers do. And this is a huge benefit because writing tests um, in many cases takes way, way more time than writing the actual APIs themselves. So we can just reuse all of that and be sure that we are spec compliant. And this has led us to um, actually landing on MDM docs. So in the compatibility tables, in uh, addition to, to many browser engines and mobile browser engines, you can also see Dino a lot, essentially in, in every API that, that you mentioned, as well as uh, many more esoteric ones. Yeah, excellent. Can you talk about any high-level trade-offs that you had to work through in the design? Sure. So probably the biggest trade-off, which might be the most surprising as well, is that at some point last year, Dino abandoned TypeScript, but not really abandoned in, in the sense that we no longer support it, but we no longer offer our own internal code in TypeScript. Uh, there's been an internal document that made rounds around the internet and caused a lot of buzz. Um, people were freaking out that Dino is abandoning TypeScript, but uh, we're not. TypeScript will be supported forever in Dino. This was a completely internal change, but it has profound uh, results on our workflows, and it had actually... Um, quite significant reasons for, for doing that. Uh, to go to, to explain it better, I need to go into a bit of history and um, explain how Dino started. So originally Dino was written in Go. The, the first iteration that um, Ryan presented to the world was actually a Go project. And the runtime code, the uh, code that was actually providing many uh, built-in APIs was written in TypeScript. And this TypeScript code was then bundled using rollup. So that means that the first iteration of Dino actually had a dependency of Node. To be able to produce a Dino binary, you needed to have Node installed to uh, get this TypeScript code into a single JavaScript bundle. Sometime later, we actually replaced this rollup build step with our own internal TypeScript compiler host. And the situation went a little better. Uh, however, not that much better because we effectively had two different TypeScript compilers in our code base. One built into the Dino binary that is used to execute user's code, and the other one that was used just in the build step. Um, the complexity of this solution was slowing us down significantly. It uh, caused development loop to be in minutes. So any little change you did, you had to type check, uh, transpile, bundle, and embed this whole bundled source code into the binary. And at some point, we decided that this is just too slow. And actually, this is too inefficient because of all the bundling and transforms, we did not really have very much control of what this source code that is then embedded looks like. And when you're writing a runtime, you actually want to have as much control as possible. So at some point, we did a little experiment. What would it entail to get rid of all the TypeScript code and replace it with just with JavaScript? 
And it turned out we managed to, to remove over 100,000 lines of code and streamline our build process significantly down to about half a minute. And it turns out it was a great decision for the development uh, feedback loop, but also it did not have really any disadvantage in terms of how much the code is maintainable. So one might imagine that losing all of the types would be very, very bad. However, as I mentioned before, we run our code against web platform tests. And also we have a huge test suite of internal tests. And it turned out that this switch did not really cause any regressions and allow us to move way, way faster. And high velocity is one, one of the principles that we try to adhere to. Uh, so in essence, it might have been very controversial. However, it was a huge win for the team and actually for contributors because the build process got way simpler and way faster. And it wasn't as intimidating as before. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's an interesting story. I, I'm a bit of a TypeScript skeptic, so I'm trying to not hear that as a, um, a validation <laughs> of my own personal biases. But bringing up TypeScript sort of in user land, I was curious about that because it seems like one of the, the only core pieces of Dino that really violates that Dino is a browser pattern that y it can run TypeScript natively. Um, so I was curious about if that decision to, in the minds of the public, Dino is first and foremost a TypeScript runtime. So I was wondering about that decision to sort of emphasize the importance of TypeScript um, in, in user code. Right. So as many um, surveys taken in the last year uh, show that TypeScript is just gaining more and more popularity. And I guess one can safely say that it won in terms of type-safe JavaScript languages. So there was also Flow, but as far as I know, it's not that popular and um, pretty much on the decline. So choosing TypeScript as a first-class citizen might have been kind of controversial decision, but as we've seen from our users' feedback, uh, it's a huge selling point. Turns out that setting up um, TypeScript in your Node project is not so easy if you uh, don't use any predefined template. Of course, it's getting better and better with uh, every release from the TypeScript team. Still, it's intimidating for some of the users. So taking this huge burden of setting up your, your tool chain locally uh, before you can even execute the first, um, first file of TypeScript uh, is a huge win. So it's not without any uh, drawbacks. TypeScript is super highly configurable. You can tweak many knobs and change many settings. Uh, however, in many cases, this is not really needed. So one could say that there are effectively many flavors of, or dialects of TypeScript in the wild. And Dino took a different approach to this. We selected a single configuration, which is actually quite strict. So we enforce many, uh, many checks that are considered part of the strict set in TypeScript and allow you to forget about all of the settings and um, build steps. This, uh, this all happens behind the scenes without any user interaction and allows you to start coding TypeScript in 
essentially in a second. Um, and just to be clear, Dino doesn't really execute TypeScript code. All Dino does is taking care of this whole build or transpilation process behind the scenes. So if you try to run TypeScript file, it is actually type checked and transpiled into JavaScript before it is executed. And uh, you no longer need to worry about your build step. Again, this is not without any drawbacks or concessions. You need to give up so, some configurability, uh, but the experience and how easy it is to use is just unparalleled. And to answer the part about deviating from browsers, uh, sure, browsers cannot execute TypeScript. Uh, however, there are some talks in the committees about uh, supporting type annotations and types in JavaScript. Uh, so one might uh, imagine that one day browsers would actually be able to execute some JavaScript that, that has type annotations that would just be stripped out at runtime. Or maybe even they could someday influence how the code is executed at the runtime. However, given how many developers love TypeScript and want to use TypeScript, we actually, Ryan, decided that it's worth it to make it first-class citizen and then provide tools that allow you to expose that transpiled sources if you need them in the browser. Mm -hmm. That's probably a, for a different podcast, but there have been a lot of transpile to, to JavaScript languages over the course of time that have ended up being cannibalized by JavaScript itself. But um... uh, yeah, so um, to that end, I might add, um, they are definitely a good playground for testing out new ideas without having to influence JavaScript itself. And you know you don't need to wait for any support from the engines itself. Um, you can just try them out today and see if they help you or not. And as far as I know, this is actually a trend forming in the Node community that there is an infrastructure that allows you to hook different loaders for those languages directly into the runtime. And we actually ex experimented with the similar approach some time ago, but decided that um, it's not the thing that we need to focus uh, the most at that time. But who knows, maybe we'll revisit this idea in the future. Um, so I'm curious about that decision. Is there, was that something that was, that was considered seriously, the idea of kind of having, you know, kind of language plugins that, that could be brought into, into Dino? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, again, we wanted to leverage existing web APIs and turns out that service mm -hmm. worker APIs seems to fit this need. Uh, however, there are many mm -hmm. unanswered questions and a lot of um, say preparatory work in the runtime itself that would need to be done before that can happen. And yeah, there are just more pressing issues to, to address first, but this will be something that we will look more seriously into in the future uh, because it's clear that many users just want that. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so the other thing I wanted to pick up is the use of uh, URLs to import dependencies instead of references to the package.json seems like a, you know, another one of those key decisions that keeps it nicely in line with the behavior of the browser. But it's also having that package.json is, um, I know, a thing that people really like to have kind of one file where all of your dependencies are, are listed and 
um, and maintained. Was that uh, a decision that had that had pros and cons? Yes, of course. So this decision stems from from the fact that from um, the original talk by Ryan Dahl that introduced Dino to the world. The ten things I regret about Node.js. I'm sure we'll link this. Package.json was actually described as one of those regrets, and that's why Ryan went with this one can, say, one can say very simple resolution algorithm that browsers use and completely cut off from the node slash NPM ecosystem. This decision was profound and not without drawbacks. One of the drawbacks is that Dino is not explicitly compatible with existing ecosystem, but we are actually working on this very hard these days. So most of our efforts in in recent weeks are to bridge this compatibility gap and provide solutions that would work for many users. On the other hand, this lack of compatibility, it allowed us to focus on developing technical technological stack that will allow us to expand and maintain Dino for many, many years to come. And we actually feel very bullish about our tech stack. And actually adding Node.js resolution, if we wanted to, is not a a very big deal. Our uh, stack is formed in such a way that there's only a single component that we need to rewrite to, to provide this compatibility. And again, this is something we are we are looking at. However, there are already some solutions that allow you to bridge this gap. And mainly one of them is import maps. Import maps is um, WICG specification. It's a JSON file that allows you to remap some bare specifiers. So for example, FS is a better specifier that points to a file system built-in module in Node. It allows you to, to remap it to fully qualified URL or just a relative URL. And this is something you can already use in Dino. And actually, that's how our user land compatibility layer works by providing an import map that remaps built-in node modules into a fully qualified URLs pointing to a polyfills. So if you are a front-end developer and you still want to use bare specifiers in your code, you can do that and then provide this import map file to your browser. Again, this is something that is quite controversial and many users are complaining about this um, divergence. However, this is something we will address in the near future to bridge this gap and to uh, make the existing ecosystem uh, work nicely with Dino. Of course, the ideal solution would be to have a standardized way that all browsers could implement, but it seems such a difficult task that no one really wants to, to tackle it at this point. Yeah, fair enough. Can you talk about any um, stumbling blocks that you hit while, while building Dino? Were there any flaws that you didn't you didn't foresee of course so well none of us has a crystal ball and we cannot foresee the future and we definitely underestimated some uh, aspects and overestimated some others but to name a few um let me start by integration with the v8 which is that the javascript engine that uh, dino and node and chrome use V8 is a massive C++ project. It's over half a million lines. It's super complex. 
and it has very complicated build system. So integrating it into C++ project is already hard and integrating it into Rust project is even harder. And we originally started with just a very small um, C++ library that was integrated with Rust using foreign function interface. And it allowed us to get very, very far with just a, a few APIs. However, um, at some point we just hit a wall and needed a better, more stable solution. And we tried different approaches like automatically generating bindings to the C++ code. However, the API of V8 is just enormous and it's very complex. So what we ended up was essentially writing all those bindings by hand. And that's how Rusty V8 came to life. Rusty V8 is, um, is a Rust project. It's a Rust crate that allows you to integrate V8 and especially its build process into your Rust project very easily. And um, for me, this is definitely one of the biggest successes of, of the whole Dino, Dino project that, uh, that happened to date. Uh, another one would definitely be TypeScript support. As we already uh, discussed this briefly, there are many flavors or many dialects of TypeScript. So integrating TypeScript in a way that works for most users is non-trivial and we had to set on a single set of configuration that would work for most users. But then again, users need to give up some of this configurability in favor of, well, this magical support for TypeScript. And yet another one would be how much momentum NPM has. So just, just a second ago, we discussed how, how Dino differs from Node that it doesn't support package JSON and NPM ecosystem. And this is probably the biggest hurdle we hit so far. People really love using package managers and they really love pulling their packages from, from NPM. And this is something we still don't have a clear answer for, but are working towards right now. So yeah, maybe one more would be that TypeScript turned out slower than we want, we, we ideally wanted to. And it's actually the biggest bottleneck right now when you're executing TypeScript code with Dino. Uh, it just takes a long time to type check all of those files. And there are some discussions about rewriting TypeScript compiler in Rust. However, there's no clear forward to that and it's not even clear if it will be any faster however uh, we managed to replace many parts of typescript uh, compiler with rust components so effectively the only thing left for typescript to do is do actual type checking all the other things like module resolution or um, acquiring dependency this is all now rewritten in rust so we're, we're left just with this um, single step, which is actual type checking. And um, right now there's no better solution to it. But then again, TypeScript is getting better and better and faster and faster with every release. And with incremental compilation, this is not such a big deal anymore. And one difference Dino has compared to using TypeScript in Node is that we don't execute TypeScript compiler on every run. So if you are using Node.js and running TSC, then your Node.js runtime has to 
parse, compile, and execute all of this TypeScript compiler code every time you start up. And in Dino, we completely got rid of that. We only execute this code once during a build step when we are producing Dino binaries, and we use something called V8 snapshots. Uh, this is quite an esoteric feature of V8, but in short, it allows you to execute some JavaScript code and then take... That's what we're here about on this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it allows you to execute some, some JavaScript code and then essentially take a snapshot, a photo of the JavaScript heap, serialize it to some binary format, and then you can just deserialize it on startup, skipping all of those very expensive steps. Um, and yeah, this, this proved very, very uh, effective. And uh, the startup time of, of TypeScript compiler in Dino is just, um, well, it's, it's so, so quick that, that you can just um, completely skip um, accounting for it. Ah, wonderful. Um, can you talk about, for any of those, um, the other things you mentioned, um, what are some ways that you and the team have been working on um, trying to ameliorate those those challenges. So mechanically, how are you how are you trying to help bridge the gap between the Dino runtime and the node the node ecosystem for instance? Right. So there are actually multiple fronts that we are um, focusing our actions on because there's no single silver bullet that would solve all of the issues. Ideally, we, we'd want um, developers to, to migrate over to Dino from, from Node, but of course, this is not possible unless there's a supporting ecosystem. NPM is probably the biggest package manager in the world with the most libraries available, so it's understandable that it's hard to leave this all behind and start from scratch. So uh, to, to bridge this gap, we are working on... Um, tools like DNP, which would allow you to offer your um, code in Dino first and then provide a version that works with NPM. Then we are working on a tool that works in the reverse. So you have your NPM code and this tool allows you to automatically rewrite it or maybe code mode would be a better word, um, the, the built-in mm -hmm. node APIs to Dino. And then we are also working on something called a compatibility layer, which essentially is a Node.js emulator built into Dino. So there, there, there might be a special flag that will allow Dino to resolve the modules the same way Node does. So it, would, it, it could be able to go look for your Node modules and, and figure out the, the source code that needs to be executed using the same burst specifiers as Node does. However, this all of this is still mm -hmm. in the heavy experimentation and iteration phase, so I cannot promise um, which one is going to be out first or which one will have the most emphasis. However, uh, yeah, we are working on multiple fronts to, to allow the uh, widest possible audience to try out Dino and possibly migrate uh, from Node to Dino or target both runtimes at the same time, either from Dino or from Node. And um, apart from the things that you've mentioned, is there anything else that's um, coming in the near future that that you're excited about? Yeah, definitely. So um, besides Dino the runtime, Dino the CLI that, that you are using, we're we also working hard on uh, a product called Dino Deploy, which is 
um, it's a globally distributed JavaScript engine that, that is uh, sitting behind an HTTP server. And Dino Deploy will, will work seamlessly with Dino. So if you want to distribute your code and execute it close to your users, so on the edge, uh, this will be the service that will work the best with Dino. And um, yeah, the hope is that we will have general availability by the end of the year. And we are working hard towards beta free at the moment. So if you're interested in that, um, yeah, make sure to check out Dino Deploy. All right. And so something that I ask all of my guests um, before we wrap up is what are some other projects out on the internet that you're that you're excited by? Uh, sure. I dove into the Rust very, very hard two years ago, and I'm completely in love with Rust at this point, of course, besides JavaScript and TypeScript. And uh, that's where I spend most of my time. Um, and two projects that excite me the most at the moment are BOA. BOA is a JavaScript engine similar to V8 that is written in Rust. I believe there was just... 13 release uh, a week ago. This is a quite young project, but it's moving forward at very nice pace and more and more tests are being passed from the, the uh, ECMAScript test suite. So I'm looking forward to what future will bring for uh, JavaScript engines in, in Rust because historically they've been written in C++. And another project that mm -hmm. I'm really excited about is NuShell, which is, well, it's even hard for me to describe. It's it's a shell, but it doesn't feel like a shell. It feels like I'm in a high-level scripting language instead of a shell, uh, which is a completely new paradigm for me that in your terminal, everything is structured. It's not just streams of text. Uh, it's, actually, it's actually structured data. So imagine you're manipulating... Um, JSON objects directly from from your terminal. It's it's awesome. I really recommend to check this out. All right, that sounds very exciting. <laughs> um, so I think that probably brings us about to the end of the episode. Um, is there anything else of yours that you'd like to promote? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna repeat myself a bit. Um, Dino deploy is is this thing that it. that we're working hard these these days, and um, it's getting better by the day. Uh, we got an awesome playground feature that just landed this week, and I really recommend to check this out. This platform has instant deployments. So literally the moment you save your project or push it to GitHub, it's already deployed all across the world. And I mean, literally, before you even can switch your tab, you got a preview ready on your PR. Uh, so yeah, if you're interested in developing um, serverless solutions in JavaScript, this is definitely a, a project to check. All right. We'll include that along with links to other projects you mentioned in the show notes. Thank you again for your time, Bartek. Have a wonderful day. Thank you very much for having me here and have a wonderful day too. Well, that wraps it up for this week on The Runtime. I remain your host, Raphael Kennedy. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe and, if possible, leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps to spread the word. If you have thoughts, feedback, or ideas of folks that I should interview for the show, please reach out either via email at raphael at runtimepodcast.com or on Twitter at podcastruntime. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>